Welcome to the premium sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. It's Testimony Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you listen to Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Thanks for supporting World Evangelism with your premium subscription and enjoy today's testimony. All right, well, it is time for another Testimony Tuesday, and this is Pastor Adam with you again. And I am very blessed and privileged to be welcomed by Pastor David Abrahams all the way on the other side of the planet in New Zealand. Welcome to this episode, Pastor Abrahams. Thanks very much, Pastor Adam. Looking forward to uh, having a having a good talk. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, um, so I, I have to uh, admit that uh, before a few weeks ago, I didn't know who you were. And uh, well, my, one of my challenges for Testimony Tuesday going forward on this podcast is I want to kind of reach out beyond, you know, my little sphere of people that I know. And and to do that, I just kind of started looking through the, the pastor's uh, mailing list book that we we all have. And so uh, I've always been naturally curious about New Zealand and that that area of the world. And and so uh, you were the first, your, your name starts with A, your last name. So you were the first one there on the list. And so I, I happened to see you were on WhatsApp and reached out and you were very kind to respond. And uh, so uh, it's, it's really nice to meet you. And for the, the audience that, um, that also doesn't know you, maybe you can give us a short intro and tell us uh, where you're pastoring and, and, and you know, where, where you live. Okay, fine. Um, I was actually sent out of the Perth Church, uh, the Beachborough Church, which uh, Pastor Tom Payne was recently um, uh, pastoring in. Um, I was sent out in 1990, so that was over 30 years ago, uh, into the nation of New Zealand and the city of Rotorua. And so um, Rotorua is a city of about 60,000 people. And, um, yeah, we've just been doing a work here. We've been doing, uh, uh, obviously, uh, over the years, uh, lots has changed. Things have uh, people have come and gone and so on, but we've kind of remained uh, <laughs> remained in in place here the whole time. So it's been a blessing, um, and uh, yeah, that just uh, God's been doing some good stuff, and we're 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 currently, uh, I guess, in a in a place where we're, I guess, rebuilding after lockdown. That's what we're we're, we're currently involved in. Yeah, I think that that's fairly common across many churches. It's been uh, been a wild ride. Well, uh, Pastor David, you you mentioned you are from the Beachboro Church in, sorry, that's in Perth, West West Australia, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and so, well, I, I'd like to hear a little bit about your your family background and where you grew up and and some of the influences in your life. Absolutely. Um, so look, my story really begins, I guess, with uh, uh, prior to when I was born. Um, I'm actually from a Jewish family. Um, both of my parents are Jewish and uh, both of my uh, ancestors or bo on both sides, they kind of originally came out of the uh, what was white Russia at the time, um, which is around the Lithuania, uh, where Lithuania is now. Um, and so uh, my Pastor uh, David. I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt you, but we might be related. This is a, already a very similar history to my my family as well. Although uh, our family was Russian Orthodox Jews, which came out of the Ukraine area. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. 
I'm, 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 I'm blessed to, to be speaking to another uh, Messianic Jew then, in that case. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, uh, Lithuania is a little bit further north, but um, basically the story is, is that uh, in 1905, there were many uh, pogroms happening at, at the time. The Russian Cossacks were... Uh, uh, you know, persecuting the Jews in their little shtetls or the, the, the villages around there. And so there was a big migration out of Jews, uh, sorry, out of that, at that time, out of, um, uh, you know, the area between Poland and Russia uh, to England and then ultimately on to America for many of them. But a lot of them stayed in London, uh, which my ancestors did. And so uh, that's the stock that I'm from. Um uh, I was actually born in London in 1961, uh, and uh, both of my parents were uh, members of the London Orthodox Synagogue. Um, but they wanted to get out of England. Uh, the weather would, you know, mum was uh, had rheumatism, and so she wanted to move out. Um, there was some family issues and so on, so they uh, decided to move to Western Australia. Uh, uh, my dad was an optician. Uh, and uh, he found himself a job in Perth in Western Australia and moved out there in 1963. So I was, uh, I think I was 20 months old when we moved. Um, uh, and then when we got there, I believe Dad, Dad was probably about six months uh, or my parents were about six months in Perth. My, I had an older sister as well. My, my younger brother was born in, in, uh, in Perth. And then uh, Dad saw a business opportunity in a country town called Geraldton. Uh, which, interestingly enough, is a place where Paul O'Neill, who you interviewed a few weeks ago, um, he was saved. And so I was actually brought up in Geraldton, which is a small country town in Western Australia, um, uh, of at that stage about maybe only, you know, 12 or 15,000 people or something. And so the, the reason I, I kind of gave you that background is because um, my whole testimony really relates to the fact that I was a, a Jewish boy, but born into a, or, or, or at least growing up in a place where there were no other Jews. So we were the only Jewish family. Um, and uh, I can remember in the early days, uh, my mum and dad used to keep the, uh, you know, keep the, the kind of rituals that Jews do. So on Friday, we'd, she'd light the candles and say Seder and, and do all that kind of thing. But um, we were basically, um, you know, separated from the uh, the rest of the Jewish community. So I kind of grew up as a very, you know, from some basically my earliest memories aren't of Perth, but they're of Geraldton. And, uh, and so it, for me, it was just growing up in a place where uh, being Jewish meant that I was different and um, uh, didn't have any kind of people uh, of around my own age or, or even any other families that were of that place. And so I guess a defining point in my life uh, for me was when I was five years old. I was uh, um, just in, in the first grade at school. And uh, so these other boys found out that I was Jewish. And so they d took it upon themselves to, you know, kind of um, uh, pick on me and beat me up every every playtime or every recess time. and uh, and so this kind of went on for, you know, virtually every day uh, for, uh, I guess, a number of months. And uh, and so, you know, school time for me just became a time when when I was uh, at recess time, I'd be kind of running away from this uh, group of about four or five kids that wanted to be, uh, bash me up. And so that kind of was a defining point for me because it, it, it got to the stage where 
um, I remember walking home from school one day and I was thinking, if, if this is what God is all about, um, I, well, I, I don't believe in him, you know, I, I, and so I must have, I don't recall really thinking too much about whether God existed, but I believe that I must have exist, uh, thought that he did up until that time. But at that time, uh, I remember walking home and saying, God, I don't even know why these, you know, why these kids are doing this to me uh, because I don't, you know, I don't even, I don't even know what I believe, but they're picking on me because supposedly I killed Jesus or my, my, uh, my ancestors killed Jesus and so on. And so, um, so I, I remember I looked up to heaven and I said some kind of cryptic words, which were basically, God, I don't believe in you. So at the same time, as I was saying, as I was talking to God, I told him that I didn't believe in him, which is kind of, you know, that was, that was how it was in my yeah. five-year-old mind. And so from that point on, I was extremely cynical about everything to do with God and particularly um, anything to do with Jesus. So uh, I became what, you know, what I could, you could basically call, call an atheist um, uh, at, at the age of five years old, which is pretty early to make that kind of decision. I would but, say so, yeah. Yeah, but it was just kind of, and then it was in me. And from that point on, I was extremely cynical, just uh, used to mock anybody that would speak about any kind of spiritual things. I wanted nothing to do with, um, well, I couldn't have anything to do with with, with synagogue or, or obviously because we were we were separated from the Jewish community anyway. Um, uh, but my my dad, you know, tried to teach me Hebrew when I was about five or, or maybe six or seven years old, and I I was adamant that I didn't want to know anything about it. Um, you know, when I was thirteen, uh, bar mitzvah time comes around, and so I told dad, look, I don't believe in God, so you know, I'm not Jewish, so I'm not going to do it. And he said. Listen, I want you to do it because you might want to be Jewish sometime, you know, sometime later on, and you, you know, you need to be bar mitzvahed. So I did that under under duress, <laughs> um, and um, uh, basically we went down to Perth, and I remember going through the whole process, which to me was a total farce because um, because I didn't know any Hebrew, and it was the Orthodox synagogue. You had to had to recite a, a portion of the Torah. Um, in Hebrew, and of course, I didn't know any, and so the rabbi just made a uh, made a cassette for me at that stage, uh, and uh, just just um, you know recited the whole portion of scripture that I was supposed to read, which I couldn't read anyway. <laughs> and so what I did was I learned the whole lot parrot fashion, which to me proved even more that it was just a total, you know, it was just ridiculous it was it didn't mean anything to me other than the fact that i'd get some presents <laughs> you know from from being bar mitzvah so uh yeah and so basically i grew up in in pretty much a secular community um and uh um basically was a very secular person in, in my own in my own mind you know I, um uh there were friends of mine at school that did go to church but again i just mock them um and laugh at them and so on and so uh uh, there was never any real Christian influence in my life or any any kind of wanting to do with anything to do with God at all. Pastor David, I'm curious, how, how important was your parents' faith to them? And it, and if it was, you know, more than just a, a passing kind of uh, religious front, um, were they, what was their reaction to this rejection that you had very early on in your life? Uh, well, they had kind of made the decision. And so I kind of liken it to, 
you know, when when people move away from church uh, and they, you know, basically, or they don't come to church for a while, we as pastors understand, or even most Christians would understand, that you need to be around, you know, a a faith community in order to, um, you know, keep your faith. And so they made the decision to move, you know, firstly away from the synagogue in London, and then secondly away from the uh, the Jewish people that had welcomed them into the uh, Perth synagogue when when they uh, you know when they moved up to Geraldton, and so um, and so me making that decision wasn't really a big deal because my dad uh, he became more and more you know basically we became very very secular so they were Jews and they had been part of a a vibrant, I suppose, Jewish community. But I, 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 you know, when I look back on it and after, I only found that that's years and years and years later, but my dad um, himself went through a kind of traumatic experience when he was 16. Um, his mum died. Uh, she had a brain hemorrhage or something like that. And she was, uh, she was crook for a, or sick for a while before she actually died. And uh, I didn't even know this, but he told my wife this years and years later that um, um, he had prayed to God, you know, to heal his mum, and his mum didn't get healed. And so from that time, even from the time he was 16, he was kind of, he was, you know, angry at God and whatever. And so he he pretty much moved away from his faith, even though we used to go through the rituals. So every year, um, you know, uh, we would fast on the Day of Atonement, you know, for that day. And, and uh, I can remember, you know, Dad even, you know, there with the, uh, the the Hebrew book of prayers and reading that and so on and, and uh, um, you know, going through all those processes. But it really there was no real actual outworking in our lives other than the fact that, you know, once a Jew, always a Jew. So so we were secular in the, in the way that most Christians are secular or most people that call themselves Christians are secular. Okay, very good. Um, so that's it's really interesting to me. Um, and I, I, I don't want to uh, take away from uh, from your story in any way, uh, but just reflecting from my own perspective, um, th- this is very likely to have been my life unless a few other things had happened. Uh, basically, my, my father grew up in a semi-secular religious home, and he had rejected that as a young man. So even though we had kind of the label of a Jewish family, I, I never had even, even close to what you had as far as being able to experience the, the, the ceremonies and the feast days and, and those kinds of things. So it's very uh, curious, very fascinating for me to hear your story. So, so tell me, um, h- how did this begin to play out in your teen years and, and where did it lead to? Okay, so as a teenager, as I'd already mentioned, I was kind of really cynical about everything. And so um, having said that, though, there was kind of like I recognized um, that there was something, you know, missing in my life and I didn't know what it was. Um, And so I remember, you know, at school um, every now and then, like with a a group of guys that I used to hang around with, a group of people used to hang around with at school, um, I remember kind of... Um, you know, just mockingly saying, oftentimes I kind of use it as a bit of a, uh, you know, just an intro or whatever, what is the meaning to life itself? And I kind of say that, but in my mind, I didn't really believe there was an answer to that question. So what is the meaning to life itself? You know, I'd say that on various occasions, but it wouldn't actually have any kind of, uh, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't think there was an answer to that. And so you're just using this as a conversation starter. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, it was kind of like a you know, funny thing or whatever that I'd say. But but when I look back on it, I see that I really was wishing that there was a, a meaning to life because I didn't actually see any. Um, and uh, because I was a thinking person, you know, I thought I thought about a lot of different philosophies and so on. I remember one time uh, when I was about 14 saying to one of my mates at school, you know, I've kind of thought about this and I think the best philosophy in life is is communism, you know, because communism, everybody's equal and there's nobody um you know uh um uh, uh nobody richer than anybody else and uh, we're all you know we're all um exactly the same and so on and so on and that's kind of good way so i kind of thought that in my mind not realizing of course you know what was entailed but as a 14 year old you think you know everything anyway and so <laughs> and so um i kind of you know just discussed philosophies and so on and kind of thought that you know that was kind of the way to go and so um, so what it was growing up in a small, uh, in a coastal town in Western Australia was that I, I got into uh, the whole surfing lifestyle. And so um, I was an uh, avid surfer for years and years and years and kind of that basically became, you know, my life, um, um, it, you know, revolved around going to school. And then as soon as school would be finished, I'd be down the beach and going surfing all the time, which kind of um and you know surfing and drugs go together and so when, when i was about 16 or 15 or 16 i think it was when i first uh you know was introduced to marijuana and so on so i got into that um in a in a small way just as a young person but then what happened was when i left school i um went to university in perth uh so i moved to the big city and that was where i kind of just went went uh well didn't so much go wild but basically gave into my <laughs> you know lower instincts and so on and just got involved in partying and all that kind of thing and um and uh, uh you know got more into drugs in a big way in fact i remember um having a, a photo taken for an id card when i joined university um in january i think it was uh, 19 gee whiz, i can't remember now 1979 i guess it was um, and so, um, uh, but then six months later, having another photo taken for an ID card, because I dropped out of university and went to another one. Um, and, uh, the difference between the two photos was, was, was really, uh, noticeable, you know, because I'd just come from, you know, living on the beach and being brown and surfing all the time. And, and, uh, and then six months later, I had another photo when I was kind of, pale and pasty and drug addled and looking tired and so on because because that's that's all I did at university I, I certainly wasn't there to study I was there to have a good time or what I thought was a good time and uh and so uh really I just kind of became involved in just partying and drugs and so on and so on and and uh um just felt kind of really empty I remember one time because my dad would send me money um, you know, in order to support myself while I was while I was at university, and uh, I would wait for that money to come into the bank account. And I remember, uh, for some reason, I remember it used to come in every Tuesday, and it was only a small amount of money, it was pocket money because I'd already paid for my accommodation and everything. So they were kind of looking after me, but I was I wasn't appreciative in the slightest. Um, I was just wanting to do what I wanted to do, and and uh, and so every time when that money would come in. I'd instantly go out and just buy, you know, buy buy um, marijuana with it and just uh, smoke it all up and and party until I <laughs> till I had some money come into for the next week. And I remember doing that. And so at the same time as I'm doing this, thinking I'm living life and doing what I want to do, um, 
I was also feeling really, really guilty about the fact that I was doing that. You know, my parents were supporting me and looking after me and, and you know, and I was just, I was just wasting it, you know, just, just, uh, and I remember like having a feeling of guilt go along with my feeling of I'm going to do what I'm going to do anyway, you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, that went on for, I guess, a, a year and I dropped out of university because I, as I said, I wasn't really interested in studying. I, um, I began to just uh, get uh, jobs. Uh, I, I started off back in Geraldton again. I went back to Geraldton and got a job there, but then I moved on and uh, started getting work um, in different places around the, the country. I, I just worked on a shearing team for a little while, and then I worked as a, a trade assistant in in a mining for a mining company, and just kind of did all these jobs, digging ditches and stuff like that. And and uh, um, I remember thinking that. At that stage, you know, that I was um, at least I was, you know, experiencing life, you know, because I remember meeting one guy at, uni at university when I was drinking with him one time and he'd, he'd been around university for maybe 10 years and he had three degrees under his belt. And uh, but he was and he had an opinion on everything, but um, uh, he obviously had no life experience. And I remember kind of thinking, yeah, I don't want to end up like that. You know, this guy was spouting off dribbling drunk at the, at the pub and, uh, you know, full of full of uh, head knowledge, but no, no experience of life. And so I guess I tried to experience life a little bit. And um, it was while I was uh, working up north in a mine for a mining company, I was actually staying in touch with a friend of mine. Um, so I, I, let me just back up a little bit. So um, when I left um, university and went back to Geraldton, I, there was a couple of times when I, I, I can remember one specific time when I went to, I was going to the pub, uh, which is the bar or whatever you call it in the States. Um, so, um, and a couple of friends of mine, it was two girls and me were walking down the main street of town and what happened was that um, uh, a, there was a, a, a church that had just started up. I didn't really, you know, it was the Potter's House and uh, it had just started up and people had, this was in the early 80s. And so people, um, when when the Geraldton Church started, it was just a radical, radical, radical church. And so we were just walking down the main street and all of a sudden a guy I knew from school just jumped out at me and said, hey, you know, come into the concert. There's, you know, we're having a concert here. And so I'm like, uh, no, because <laughs> I, I knew I knew he'd become a Christian, and, I, and I, you know, he was kind of a bit of a weird character anyway. And so I didn't want to have anything to do with him. But the girls I was with said, no, 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 come on, let's go and check out this concert. And I'm, I'm sort of saying, no, you don't want to do that. You know, they're Christians; uh, they're kind of wild. You know, they're kind of weird and so on. And uh, and so anyway, they persuaded me. We went in, and uh, they had a you know like a typical Potter's House concert. People sharing their testimonies and you know, um, uh, praising God in tongues and all that kind of thing. And all I remember sitting there was just thinking, these people are really, really weird, you know. They've all got <laughs> these, you know, they've all got these stupid grins on their faces and, uh, you know, they're kind of praise the Lord and hallelujah and all that. And I'm just like so totally, you know, that's so totally not my scene. I don't want to know about it. Um, uh, but what happened was that basically a number of my friends uh, started getting saved and joined that particular church. What was and the year? So, uh, this would have been 1981, I guess, or thereabouts. Yeah, probably 81. 
And so uh, the church in Geraldton, I believe, started in 1980 or 81. I'm not quite sure. So it was, just, it, was it basically took off with a real bang. It just, you know, they started off with a concert um, uh, to which a number of my friends, school friends, and uh, went along and got saved at that on that, you know, first night. And I think they started off, you know, instantly had about 100 people in the church, and uh, it kind of grew from there. Um, so it was a you know, it was a radical church, not that I was interested in it at the time. All I knew was that a couple of friends of mine had, you know, joined this church and they'd gone all, you know, religious and weren't smoking dope anymore or drinking. So, so as far as I was concerned, it wasn't, well, wasn't so, something I wanted to know about. <laughs> so it sounds like you had had some exposure with some people who had true conversion experiences. And I, but I'm, I'm curious, what were you thinking about them or, or maybe you were trying not to think about them? Well, you know, um, being in the drug lifestyle at that stage, you know, Cheech and Chong was pretty big. And I remember one thing, uh, um, I remember one skit from, from Cheech and Chong, if I'm allowed to share that as a pastor. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> we'll make an exception. Uh, well, I remember, um, you know, one uh, one of the things that uh, there's this guy walking down the street and then someone approaches him and says, hey, man, um, I used to be in the drugs, man. And uh, um and, uh, you know, I was all messed up and uh, now I'm into Jesus and I'm all messed up on Jesus. And so that to me was like that, that was that was like, hey, these guys have just chosen something, you know, some weird way of just, you know, getting into it. Yeah, new addiction. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So to me, again, um, I was I was cynical about all kinds of Christianity, but particularly this kind, because uh, these these people were were kind of really out there, you know, and um, and so I was. Uh, um yeah like you know just so it didn't it didn't affect me you know as in oh man I, I really need to find out what the truth because I didn't believe that was the truth I didn't believe that uh you know that um that that there was any god or any truth to be found so as far as I was concerned all these people were just like um had had been had been brainwashed or or whatever you know and so uh so anyway what happened is as I said I went and began to work up north. And uh, again, I was involved in drugs up there. I got busted up there. I got chucked in the back of a police van and, you know, dragged off to the prison one time. I remember thinking, gosh, I feel like a dog in a cage. I don't want to, I don't want to live like this, but that didn't kind of, as soon as I got out, I was back again, you know, <laughs> just doing what I was doing and, and living the same lifestyle. Cause I kind of didn't know anything else, you know, it was, that was, that was what it was. And so being in contact with this friend of mine down in, in, in Geraldton, she started saying, she'd get on the phone and tell me about all these people that I knew that were getting saved. And she's saying, Oh, you know, I'd say, Oh, what's happened to, you know, somebody or other. And she'd say, Oh, they, you know, they went to, they, they go to church now, you know, they're part of that potter's house, you know, <laughs> and I say, Oh no, you know, what's going on? You know, there's people like a virus. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like this, this, there's, there's bad stuff going down in my hometown, you know? <laughs> um, and so I, um, uh, after I left up north, um, not too long after I got busted, I, I left and I decided to move back down to Perth. And on my way through, I remember going, um, uh, stopping in my hometown for a couple of days before I went down to Perth. And uh, there was a, 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 I decided to go for a surf. And as I'm there, I, I arrive at the beach. I, you know, take my board off and wax it up and so on. And, and I'm going down to just going down to the water. And a girl that I knew came up to me and said, "Abe's," because they used to call me Abe's back in the day. Um, um, oh, you know, um, what are you doing? You're going for a surf? Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, "Well, 
um, you shouldn't go for a surf because if you go for a surf and you get eaten by a shark, you'll go to hell. I'm like, what? <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's shocking. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so she's like running down the beach after me, witnessing to me as I'm going, you know, as I'm trying to jump in the water. I'm saying, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of like, get out of my way. You know, I, wanna, <laughs> I just want to go into the water, you know. And so she's running down the beach telling me I'm going to die if I go for a surf because I'm, I'm going to get eaten by a shark and then I'm going to go to hell and so on. And so that was kind of, you know, how it was. Um, and so I'll try and make this a little bit shorter. I don't want so, to rave too much. So but... is, it, uh, is it accurate to say that you were not convinced? Absolutely. <laughs> Wasn't convinced <laughs> in the slightest. And, and, you know, this girl's brother, uh, him and I were very good friends at school. And so he, he actually um, lent me a Bible at one stage. And he was like, yeah, read the Bible, you know, because he got saved as well. And I'm going, no, I don't want to, you know. And so, again, I remember I, re I opened the Bible. I started reading it at Genesis. I got about three chapters in and got into the somebody begat somebody else. And I thought, well, this is a waste of time. And I closed the book and that was it kind of thing. Um, so I didn't, you know, didn't sort of investigate it any further than that. But what happened was I, I moved down to Perth and I began living in a suburb by the beach uh, called Scarborough. And at that stage, the church in Perth was, was in Scarborough. Uh, and so, you know, it was like wherever I'd go, I'd get surrounded by Christians. I, just, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't get away from them at this stage in my life. And I look back as a Christian now and I look back at that, uh, so that's six months prior to my getting saved. And I just see the hand of God and that he was leading me to a place, you know, he was getting me to the point where I was ready, you know, uh, uh, to be saved. And so I, I moved into a house with a guy we were working together and he had a place at his house and I was living kind of out of the, out of the um, area. And so I, I wanted to get closer to the city. And so I moved in with this guy and a couple of his mates and, uh, he was actually open. And so what happened, this girl that had run down the beach, she's now a pastor's wife, by the way, in um, in uh, in Perth. Uh, and so this girl sent me, oh, no, sorry, no, no, prior to this, I, I, I took my friend up to Geraldton with me one time. And so um, twice in that one day that we were there, I got witness to. So this girl, again, the same girl, um, uh, came up to me and, and caught us in the middle of the street. So it was a Saturday morning. So they were out Saturday morning witnessing. And unfortunate for me, I was uh, caught on the, in the middle of the street on a, on a traffic island there in the middle of the main street of town. And uh, and she starts talking to us. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, Sandra, yeah, yeah, good on you. See, I, I, you know, I just wanted to get out of there. But my mate was intrigued. He was like, no, 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 hang on, I want to listen. And he's really listening to her, you know. And so um, so I was kind of just sitting there, just standing there embarrassed in the middle of the street watching, you know, cars go by. I'm hoping that people in the cars weren't looking at me thinking, oh, you know, he's got caught, <laughs> he's got um, uh, um, collared by the Christians type of thing. And so... Um, uh, and so then that afternoon, another guy, and again from the Potter's house, and you know, that, that I'd known, a friend of mine, um, a friend of his, his brother actually came up and he, he poked his head in the car and started talking to me. But in actual fact, he was talking to my mate and so on. So what happened was that, um, um, uh, so I went back to Perth, and what happened? Well, two things happened. One is that I got a letter 
from this girl. And I didn't realize it was from the same girl because she'd married and she changed her name. And I got this letter from, um, from this, uh, um, you know, girl who's, or, or from, from a person I didn't recognize on the back of the envelope there. And I was wondering who it was and I opened it up and about 10 chick tracks fell out. <laughs> so, so there was all these chick tracks, uh, you know what a chick track is? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like the, the whole deal, um, um, of uh, the the little this cartoon was book. your life yeah yeah those 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 ones and so so they were you know they were kind of pretty big in the day um they were they were very very um uh, prevalent around that particular point of time amongst christians they'd be handing out all these little booklets with with comics and and uh you and know so i'm on. thinking so, pastor david of, of how many people who have told me that they have never been witnessed to you know live on the earth for 30 40 years and never get a witness and it it's amazing to hear how many times god was uh reaching out to you absolutely he was pursuing me but i didn't have a clue i was all on you as my life was getting worse <laughs> and i was getting more and more you know um surrounded by christians wherever i go so you know um but let me just tell you, so I opened this envelope and all these chick tracks fell out and then I read the letter and uh, and it was from this girl, but I didn't even realize who it was. I couldn't work out who, you know, who it was. And then I kind of worked it out halfway through the letter and all it was, you know, get saved, you're going to go to hell, blah, 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 and so on and so on. So I just, oh, I thought I'll blow this and I, I, I crumbled up the letter and I threw it into the fire and I was about to throw the comic books in as well. Oh no, sorry, what happened was that I read one of them and I don't remember which one it was, but I remember at the end it said, if you will say these words out loud, God will change your life or something like that. And so I'm still Mr. Cynic. I don't believe any of this. It's all garbage and so on and so on. So, But, but as I'm reading it, I could feel that somehow there was power in these words and I didn't understand it. And it was like, I was, it was, it was a mystery to me, but it was like, I was reading these words and I was actually fearful of saying those words out loud, because if I did say them out loud, what would happen to me? You know, would, would, would God come and take over my brain, even though I didn't believe in God, <laughs> you know, like, wow. like he had with these other weird, you know, born again Christians. So I remember reading this and thinking, Oh, uh, so you know, if the unsaved mind is is trying to process all this, and and I, I wasn't wasn't getting it at all, but I did know that somehow I was I was actually fearful of saying these words out loud because it said say it out loud, and I've never I've never been able to find it before find it again in any of the chick tracks that I that I collected, but um, this one actually said you know you need to say it out loud, and so I, I didn't, and so I got I got away with it, you know I didn't. <laughs> I, I read it, but I didn't actually say it, and so therefore I was, I was, you know, I, my mind wasn't wasn't taken over by weird things or whatever. <laughs> but what happened? I was going to throw these 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 all these tracks in the fire as well, but then my mate who I was living with, who had already you know been witness to a few times, he said, "Oh, you know, I want to I want to read them." I said, "No, you don't want to read them. You know, they're stupid." Blah blah blah, and so on and so. He said, "No, no." He took them and he took them and and uh, you know took them into his room and began to read them and so on. So then what happens is that uh, this girl who, who had witnessed to me, so she sent word. And while, and here's another thing that was happening, is that she was actually run, uh, um, teaching a Sunday school at the time in the church in, in Geraldton. And so she told me later that every single Sunday she would get the, her Sunday school kids to pray for a guy by the name of David Abrahams. Oh, and my so, goodness. I didn't have any idea about all this, but but uh, you know, for 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 a fair amount of time, there was a, a Sunday school was praying for me every single Sunday, 
And so, I, you know, like I said, I had no idea about all this. But uh, God was definitely working and moving and just bringing me to a place where I was, you know, finally going to surrender to him. But, uh, you know, I didn't, I had no idea at the time. So what happens is my, fr- um, uh, so this girl had actually got word to some friends of mine that were members of the Perth church that had originally been from Geraldton. And so the, an, another friend who I'd been to school with, um, in fact, if I can just back up a little bit, what had happened just before when I was living in Geraldton, and I was about to go and live up north um, in the, in the mining, in the mining uh, uh, company for work for the mining company. Um, this guy had come down from uh, back from Perth and he was at university at the time and he was on, on his uh, leave break or something or other from university. And while he was there, a guy had come to town and he was um, uh, promoting transcendental meditation. And so, uh, so this guy's name was Trevor. And so Trevor and me were going along with a, with a, a flatmate of mine to this place. Cause by that stage I was kind of, uh, or to these, uh, to these meetings that were going to introduce us to transcendental meditation. And they had kind of promoted it, um, you know, in their advertising as this scientific method of, uh, you know, changing the whole, uh, you know, a community into a community that was, um, um, Oh, you know, not you know, crime rates would drop and all these kind of things. I reckon they had these scientific statistics that show if that if if five percent of people, um, you know, would uh, would uh, meditate, um, you know, you know, do, pray their do their uh, you know mantras and whatever that uh, the the, uh, the 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 crime rate would drop and so on. So I was kind of believing all this and so. Anyway, so him and me and this other guy started going along, and at that stage I was kind of. I was still smoking a whole lot of dope, but I was kind of got to the stage where I, I didn't want to spend money on it. And I kind of thought, oh, this will be a natural high, you know? So, <laughs> so I'll, I'll get it. I'll get into this, you know, try, try this out. And so, so we went along to these meetings every night that week. Uh, and it was, um, uh, this would have been 1981 again, or maybe 82 this stage. No, it was 81. That's right. And so, um, uh, what happened was that on the Saturday they said, "Okay, we're going to we're going to receive our mantra uh, on the Saturday." And so I'm uh, um, in order for us to do that, we're going to go around to this person's place. We're going to bring a white handkerchief and two pieces of fruit. And I was like, "Oh, what, what's this for? Oh, this is just a, an offering to the person, you know, to thank them for hosting you." So I was total religious. But I didn't see that. My mind was totally blinded. I couldn't see that it was religion in the slightest because I weren't promoting it as a religion. You know, they were just saying, you know, you need to, when you chant, you know, the the the, the wave levels from your mind, you know, would to, would uh, would affect the community and so on and so on. So I'm, I'm, you know, when you when you don't believe the truth, you believe any lie. You know? Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, you. you... How many times you rejected the gospel, but <laughs> the first uh, the first transcendental guy who comes in the city, you're like flocking to him. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just like and I consider myself an intelligent, um, you know, uh, cynical uh, human being <laughs> right. I wasn't cynical about that. It was kind of weird, you know. So so anyway, um, on the Saturday, what happens is me and this other guy, we're going to go and receive a mantra. And then what happened was that Trevor came round. Uh, this is the guy who was living in Perth and was going to university at the time, but had come down, you know, come up to Geraldton uh, for the holidays. And so he came around that morning and said, oh, I've decided I'm not going to get my mantra. I'm going to go and get receive my mantra this afternoon. I said, why? And he said, well, 
because he'd had some guys witnessing to him and he said, I'm going to go to the Potter's House concert that's on tonight. No way. <laughs> wow. And I was like, you're insane. You know, don't you realize, you know, there's a, they're all weird, blah, blah, blah. And so I was giving him my whole spiel and everything. And he said, no, no, no I'm going to go along because he'd obviously be convinced and he'd had other people talking to him at the time. So actually what happened on that Saturday, I went and received my mantra which is just the name of some Hindu demon. You know, of course, I didn't realise, you know, it's like, hey, we'll give you this special, um, you know, name that's that's just just applicable to you and all you have to do is chant that and the, the you know, the, the person. Of course, I didn't call him a guru, but that's what the guy was. You know, he'll give you a special, uh, you know, word that you'll be able to recite and that's going to be, you know, the, the, your, your mantra from now on. And as I had, I, like I said, I had no idea. You go in there, there's incense, you know, there's this white, handkerchiefs and fruit all over the place and whatever and I'm kind of like not even thinking about it and, and going and receive my mantra but the same time that I did that my friend Trevor he went and got saved he got radically saved at the concert that particular night and so this was like two years prior to me getting saved and so now if we go back to where I was back in Perth again this girl who was in Geraldton she sent words to this guy Trevor uh and said hey listen um Abe's is living with a guy who's really, really open. So go around and see him. He's not open at all. He could care less. But go and see this. Go and see Abe's and 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 start talking to the guy that he's living with because he's the guy that had wanted to listen to her on the street and that had you know taken these tracks off me and 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 started reading them and so on. And so uh, so then what happens is that all, all these Christians start dropping around my place all the time on the pretense of seeing me, but in actual fact to see this my, my flatmate Rodney. You know. <laughs> And so, so I'm like, oh, you know, this is insane. I can't get away from these guys. I'm living on the dole at this stage. I've, I've uh, kind of given up working altogether. Um, uh, I had some money in the bank from working up north, and so I was selling drugs on the side and just kind of, you know, just going surfing and, you know, living living a wasted life. <laughs> and uh, uh, started hanging around with some guys that were in a band um, that were, you know, basically just total drugo loser you know except they could play instruments so <laughs> so um uh but anyway so so then trevor came around and then he started bringing his friends around and they're all talking to this guy rod that's that's living with me and they're also talking to me because it's on the pretext of seeing me that they're actually around there in the first place and so i'm sitting there and every time they come around i pull out a bong and just try and blow you know <laughs> <laughs> smoke all over them while they're talking to me, you know, just being really rude and offensive and so on. And, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I remember getting really mad at one stage because they're witnessing to me. And I said, okay, all right, all right. I've heard your side. Now let me tell my side, you know, let, let me tell what I believe. Okay. And I started talking and I could see that as I was talking that, they were, well, this one guy in particular was looking really cynically at me. And I was really mad. I thought, how dare they? You know, they come around my place and they start raving on about this Jesus stuff. And I've got to sit there listening to them, you know, while I'm blowing smoke in their face, of course. But, but, uh, and now I want to, I want to share what I believe. And they're not even listening to me. Well, blow them. You know, I don't want anything to do with them. So, so anyway, so that was my decision. But meanwhile, my mate, he actually gets saved. And so he, he starts going along to the Potter's house then um, in Perth. So this uh, is your roommate now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just down the road from where I live. And so he's going along to church and he's being a good Christian boy and so on. And, but, but he's not that, he's not that saved. And I'm doing my very best to, 
you know, persuade him that it wasn't a good idea that what he did. And if he does have to go to church on Sunday, he doesn't have to go to church twice on Sunday. You know, so I'm trying to get him to come and party with me and, you know, doing everything I can to dissuade him from this stupid decision that he's made. <laughs> and uh, we'd actually, sorry, um, just to, just before he got saved, we got invited to a concert. And, of course, again, I didn't want to go, but Rod wanted to go, so I went with him to protect him from the weirdos. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, and so I remember what happened was that at the end of the concert, I was surrounded by about four or five guys. Like they just come up to me and just like almost, you know, uh, like back me into a corner and uh, and just sort of full on just going at me, you know, like just giving me the whole story. And one guy in particular, I don't know, he must have been eating garlic or something or other, but his breath smelt really bad. And I was... <laughs> I was like, in my mind, I said, okay, that's it. I'm never, ever, ever going to the Potter's house in my in my whole life again. I will not go to this place. I'm not going to be seen anywhere near it. So, so this is all going on. I've made my decision. I don't want to have anything to do with, you know, certainly uh, the Potter's house and so on. Um, my mate's getting saved and he's going there. I'm trying to bring him out of it. Now, then what happens is that I met this girl. And oh, we started it's, going. it's interesting. Yeah. The girl, the girl always changes yeah. things. Well, it did, because what happened was that uh, I met this girl and uh, um, I actually met her at a party. And then we, we uh, I kind of, you know, started uh, not really even going out with her, but um, just trying to get to go out with her. And I did actually then then we got to the stage where we were. But it turns out she's a what can I say, a sometime Christian, you know. So she was. Uh, um um, you know, just like a girl that was uh, that was kind of hanging out in the community, but at the same time she was going along to a church somewhere. So she, um, um, well, she wasn't saved, otherwise she wouldn't have been going out with me, you know. So, <laughs> so, so, um, uh, but but she did feel, think she was a Christian, you know, even though she was. She, we started going out together, and what happened was that I asked her because only anybody had ever witnessed to me was from the Potter's house, and so all they were saying was that I was going to hell. So I asked her, okay, you know, you said, you know, you're a Christian, aren't you? And she said, yeah. I was, okay, well, do you think I'm going to hell? And she said, uh, and she was like really put on the spot. And she said, um, uh, well, no, I don't believe you are going to hell because I believe you're going to get saved. And I was like, oh, so you do believe I'm going to hell? You know? <laughs> and, and, and it's like, so every Christian believes I'm going to hell, you know, and, uh, and I couldn't kind of, you know, anyway, I was still going out with her and what happened, so what happened was that um, I I went along with her to her church, and it was a big church. It was a bit, maybe a 1,000 people or something rather than a church in the city that she was going to. And uh, they were a kind of faith-type church, you know, a word of, a word of faith-type um, ministry or whatever. And so um, I'd kind of gone along with her a couple of times to church with her because she wanted to go, um, and I was there. Uh, not so much under duress, but just because it's like, oh, well, you know, I'll go with her or whatever she wants to go. And so I'd sit there and I remember sitting in this church, looking around at these people that are just kind of, you know, in a totally different space than what I'm into. I'm there in my, you know, jeans and T-shirt and, and jandals and whatever, or thongs or whatever. Yeah, that's, a, that's a bad word in, in the States, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. Sandals, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of go along like this and look at these people and man, they're not my kind at all. And they're all kind of straight and they're all got their suits on and all this kind of thing. So I was like, this was, was not my scene. I was just cynical about the whole thing. But what happened 
So now I've started going out with this girl. I've been along to church with her a couple of times, and 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 God's getting me to this place where I'm just like, I'm fed up. I'm just fed up with my life. I just you know I'm, I'm living on the doll. I've been living on the doll for a year. Um, I'm not I'm doing anything with my life. Um, I, I should be at university. I should be studying. I should have a decent job. All of these thoughts are going through my mind. You know, I've got a brain and I'm not using it. And, um, you know, I'm just kind of, I've just kind of this point in my life where I'm kind of really sick of it. And, um, and so, uh, she, uh, uh, what happened? Sorry. One, I woke up and I remember this is a Wednesday morning. I woke up my normal habit uh, because she was working a full-time job, so I was kind of on my own during the day. And my normal habit was to go for a surf, and then I'd drop in at a shopping centre on the way back from a surf and go and get a, you know, something to eat. And I'd go to the surf shop and talk to this girl that was in the surf shop, and we used to have, you know, conversations and so on. And uh, um, and so, um, but this one morning I woke up, and uh, um, I kind of. I woke up and I thought, what the heck is my life? You know, where, where is it all going? What's, what's the whole point of it? I just like, and I was, I was just at a very lowest point And I thought to myself, I've got to find out if God is real. Um, I've got to know for myself. So all the t- preaching to me about going to hell wasn't affecting me in the slightest because I didn't believe in hell. But what I did want to know, I wanted to answer that question that I'd been asking when I was 15 and 16 years old, what is the meaning to life itself? I really wanted that question answered. And it just came to me in this in this way, you know, it was like, here I am, and I'm at this bottom point in my life, and I'm just really um, just just a, a, in, in depression, you know. Um, um, you know, my life is a total waste. And so I thought to myself, I've got to find out if God is real. So... What I did, I remember that day I went around to about three of my friends, including this girl that I used to go and see at the surf shop there, and I, I, I said to them, look, I think I must be losing my mind. I said, I don't know what's going on, but I think I'm going to become a born-again Christian. And and, wow. you know, and and so I'm saying this to them. I can't even believe I'm saying it myself, you know. And so and so, um, uh, so my, my thought was I'm going to tell these people and they're going to do what I would do, which is tell me don't be stupid, you know. But every <laughs> one of them didn't say that, you know, and I was kind of really amazed because I thought, you know, because part of the whole thing was, you know, why I was, you know, cynical about Christianity was peer pressure, you know. You don't want to, you don't want to do anything. You don't want to be uncool in any way whatsoever. And so these are people that I'm, you know, sort of that I'm thinking are kind of cool people. And they're saying to me, oh, you know, you just do what you think you should do. You know, as long as you don't, don't preach to us about it. And I said, oh, no, I'd never do that, you know. And so I went to this, this girl and I went to a, a, another mate of mine and another mate, of, a, another mate again. And so I spent that day just visiting these people and saying, I don't know what, what's going on, but I think I'm going to become a Christian. And so um, uh, or everybody a, thought you know, it was a great idea. Well, they didn't think it was a great idea, but they didn't think it was a bad idea, which I would have thought it was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was enough to surprise you. Yeah, yeah. It was surprised me that not everybody was as anti as I was, you know. And so um, uh, and so anyway, what happens is that, that um, I decided, okay, I'm going to go along to church uh, with my girlfriend, you know, this Sunday. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go, I don't even know whether I sort of said those words in my head, but basically I was going with an open mind this time. And so, um, 
But what happens is on the Saturday night, we had a huge argument about something. I've got no idea. We had a pretty volatile relationship. And so we had this big argument. And she basically said, well, you know, you don't have to come to church tomorrow. And I said, I'm coming because I want to go, you know. So, so <laughs> Now you have to so go. Like, yeah. And so, uh, so then on the Sunday, I go to church. So this time, I've been to that church maybe once or twice before. And this time I go, and it's different because I'm there to find out whether God is real. And so I sat through the service. I don't remember anything the preacher said. I've got no idea what he said. No, I, I couldn't tell you one word of his sermon because all, all I was doing was in my mind, I'm going, God, are you real? If you're real, do something, you know, show me, do, you know, change me, do something. I don't know. And so at the end of the service, they had an altar call. They didn't do it quite like we do it. They basically said, okay, we want everybody to bow their heads and say this prayer. And so the prayer was a sinner's prayer, although it didn't actually mention sin because, like, you know, they went, <laughs> they just basically said something like, Lord Jesus, you know, I, I love you and I know you love me, come into my life or something like that. So it was really kind of wimpy type of prayer. But I said these words and so people's heads are bowed and I'm just saying it, you know, to myself. And, and, and I didn't want to say Jesus anyway because I was already, you know, because of my Jewish background, I didn't want to know about Jesus full stop. But I said the words anyway because he said them. And so then what they did was he, he said, if anybody said that prayer for the first time, I want you to raise your hand. And it was at that point that I felt the incredible conviction of God upon my heart. It was just like my, my heart was pounding. Um, my, my, my mind was saying, there was two things going on. My mind was saying, no, this is stupid. You know, these are, these are straight people. You're not straight. You're a druggo, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, you know, um, they, they, you know, they're all, they're all weird. They're all different. And, and God's not real. So this is what my mind was saying, but my heart was saying, this is it. You've been asking me, you know, uh, to prove myself to you. I'm wanting to prove myself to you. You know, you need to do, and and so I'm I'm struggling in myself, and I'm I, the last thing I wanted to do was put up my hand, and yet, without, you know, without a conscious decision, it's like my head was bowed, and all of a sudden my my right hand just went straight up in the air, and I didn't even want it to, <laughs> and and as soon as it went up in the air, I was like, oh no, and I I, I pulled it back down, so it kind of been up more than about a third of a second, you know. <laughs> And yet the guy saw it and he said, I saw that hand, you know, thank you, sir, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, no, you know, what have I done? And uh, and so it was, it was God was, 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 was really, you know, just touching me and just really uh, challenging me. And so, so then he said, if you raise your hand, I want you to come to the front. And I remember getting up out of my seat and my girlfriend looked at me like, what are you doing, you know? <laughs> I, I, I'm you? The front. I remember we're still arguing, you know, so, so she's like, what are you, what, what's, what's the story here? And so I'm walking down the front, and as I'm walking down to the front there, I remember saying to myself these words, if this is the truth, then I'm going to go for it. I'm going to give my life to this, you know? If this is, if this is, th this is real. And so... Uh, they took me down the front. Basically, what it was was they took you know, and they, and they counselled you and all that kind of thing and so on. So, I got saved. My my girlfriend at the time she bought me a Bible. You know, she was really happy. You know that I, I got saved. Um, we ended up breaking up up later on, but that's that's another story. But um, uh, and so I I I I asked Jesus into my heart, and I and let me say it wasn't. It was like I felt good about it. I knew that I'd done something right, and I couldn't kind of really comprehend 
what had happened, but I knew something was different. Well, that, that's so a, then, a first for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so what happens is that that night they have their, their, their evening service on. So I go along with her that night. And then uh, um, uh, somebody said to me, I think I even went to the, to the men's room, you know, like, uh, and, and while I was there, somebody said, oh, you know, uh, who are you and whatever. And he introduced himself to me and I, and he, and he, I said, I just, you know, I just became a Christian this morning or whatever. And he said, oh, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? I said, no, you know, what's that? And he said, oh, it's a, it's another gift, you know, that God has for you. And he said, um, you know, and he gave me some, he gave me some information about the, the Holy Spirit. And so my thought was, uh, wow, well, you know, if God's got something more for me than I want it, you know. So, so anyway, I go home that night and I talk to my friend who's also now a Christian. You know, he's going along to the potter's house. And uh, I said, hey, guess what? I became a Christian. He goes, what, really? You know, he's, he's, he's amazed. And then I start talking about, oh, yeah, and this guy gave me this book about something called the Holy Spirit or whatever. And he said, oh, if you like, I'll get my mate to come over and we'll pray for you tomorrow to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, no, you know, I don't want, <laughs> you know, I, I, his mate was someone who was, uh, um, you know, one of the guys that used to drop around and, and give us a hard time that I used to be really cynical with. And so I didn't, no, I don't want to. He was a guy actually he had a big marijuana ta leaf tattooed on his arm. And I kind of, my thought was like, why would you be, you know, why would anybody like do that? Like this is like an open invitation to the cops to, to say, "Hey, listen, come and you know, come and bust me," sort of thing. So I kind of was really, you know, so I didn't think much of this guy at that particular stage. And later on, he became a friend, but um, uh, so I didn't want him coming around and you know doing whatever they were going to do. But what happened is I, I I sat up and we were talking for you know a long time, and I remember going to bed at about two o'clock in the morning uh, on the Monday morning now, and uh, and so then I began to read this book on the Holy Spirit. And uh, and so it said, if you want to, you know, if you want this free gift, uh, you know, um, you know, took you through the information about the, what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, and and so on. And then it said, now just begin to now say this prayer and just start speaking in tongues. So I did, and it was like it was as simple you just as that. Followed the instructions. I said the I said the prayer, and then I went shandalabalabalabalam. I said, oh, oh, yeah, oh, that's cool. And then I went to sleep. So I didn't think anything about it. You know, it wasn't this radical experience. <laughs> Just like, oh, yeah, okay. But so, so, but this is where, this is where it really became real to me was the next morning. And I, I, I share this in my testimony all the time because it's just such a radical thing to me and it still sticks in my mind as this most incredible thing. It's because what I did was the next morning I woke up, but my eyes were still closed. And so I'm lying there half, you know, half asleep, half awake, my eyes are closed. And the first thought that comes into my mind was, gee, it feels really good to be alive. And then I thought, why did I think that? You know, I've never thought that before. Like normally my thought is, I wonder, you know, what, what the surf's doing. I wonder if it's offshore. I wonder if, you know, or where's the bong, you know, or, you know, um, those kind of thoughts would, would be the first thoughts that were my, you know, order of the day. And my thought was, Gee, it feels good to be alive. So what, why did I think that? And as soon as I said those words, why did I think that? The answer came to my mind, that's right, I know God. Wow. And as soon as I said those words to myself, I was like, I just had this incredible sense of joy and peace and, and just, just, man, I was changed. I was a new person. I was, 
I, you know, I, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was real. Uh, you know, nobody could have convinced me any differently. It didn't matter what, you know, what, all the arguments that I'd had were all completely blown away. I went, I went to university, I did zoology and I, you know, believed totally implicitly in evolution and so on and so on. But every one of those arguments was just blown away by that experience. It's like, I know God and the incredible sense of peace and warmth that came upon me. And I, you know, the same old story you've heard people say, I, 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 I woke up, I opened my eyes, I looked out the window, uh, the sky was bluer than it ever been before. There's a tree, a scrungy old, you know, straggly, it, Western Australia is pretty dry kind of country. It's kind of a little bit like Arizona in places. And, uh, and so there was a tree in our front garden, which I'd never noticed before because it was not very noticeable. But I looked at that tree and thought, this is, a, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. It's so <laughs> green. And everything was like in the light of God made this. You know, God created this. Wow, isn't it beautiful? You know, and I was, I was literally in a, in a, on a, a you know, literal spiritual high and, uh, you know, my flatmates said, what's what's up with you? You know, and, and literally I, I remember looking myself in the mirror and it was like I was looking at a pair of stoned eyes, you know, like, you know, how eyes are glazed over when you I was glazed over, but it was the Holy Spirit. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, I can't even really, you know, uh, articulate it, but I was I was radically, radically, radically saved. I was a brand new person and everything was different, you know, from that point on. Uh, okay, so then what happened was that um, uh, so this was the this was the Sunday this is the Monday morning, on Tuesday night that church had a had a midweek service, um, and uh, and so again I, I wanted like now I wanted to go to church all the time so it's like come on let's go to church, and so we went along to this church and I even uh, you know grabbed a mate of mine and like witnessed to him and brought him along to church with us and at the end of that night he wanted to get saved and or asked him if he wanted to get saved and so there was a group of us and he said yes none of us knew how to say a sinner's prayer or anything so we would just sort of sat around in a circle and prayed you know and, and you know and uh, uh hope that this guy would get some of what we had or whatever you know um uh, and then on the next night was the wednesday night and uh, my girlfriend at the time was uh, was doing some kind of a course, and so she had to go on that course. And I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to go down the road to the Potter's house, the, the, the church that I swore that I'd never, ever go to ever, ever again. <laughs> and, right. uh, and again, it was only 100 yards down the road from where I was living. So I walked down there. Uh, actually, I must have gone with, uh, with my mate, with Rodney, who was going there at the time. But I don't remember him being there. But what happened was that um, – that church was just an old uh, YMCA building that had been converted. And so it had a little bit of a foyer before you entered into the main hall. And I remember just walking in there, and this is about probably half an hour or so before the service started. I walked in um, and I, I said good day to someone. I just like I was, I was, you know, I, 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 I'd already witnessed to everybody in that one or two days that I knew just about, you know, just told them how good God was. But I remember meeting someone for the first time and just saying, oh, I'm a born-again Christian. You know, I just got saved. And he was like, you know, taken aback. I was just kind of so radically saved. Um, but I remember as I walked through the foyer of that door, I knew that this is where God wanted me to be. Um, I, I had a complete sense that this was home, um, even though, you know, the last time I'd been there, I swore that I'd never, ever go there again. And again, you've got to remember that everyone that had ever, ever witnessed to me, other than my girlfriend, um, and she never really witnessed to me anyway because she was half backslidden herself. So, 
um, uh, you know, was was from the Potter's house. So these were people that that I knew were full on Christians. Um, and so as soon as I walked in there, I knew that I was saved. But then what I had to do was I wanted to tell my parents. And so at that stage, there were no cell phones or anything. So there was a, a phone, a call box, a call, a call phone, phone box or whatever, uh, just a. Uh, just around the corner from there, so I'd, I went in there and said, "Yeah, I'll be back and whatever." But, I, but I, and 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 walking away from there, I knew that I knew that this is where I was going from now, and I wasn't going to go back to that other church. This is where I was supposed to be. So I walked down to the phone box and rung up my parents. And uh, the first words I said was, "I think I spoke to my." Uh, that's why I spoke to my dad first. Oh, no, I spoke to my mum first. Uh, hang on, oh, whatever it was. Anyway, no, no, that's right. I spoke to my dad first. And I said, hey, guess what, Dad? This will blow you away. And he said, what's that? And I said, i become a born-again Christian. And he was like, there was this silence on the other end of the phone. And so, you know, so they're, they're, they're basically as atheist as anybody um, and as unbelieving as anybody, and yet there's still that Judaism that's part of them. Right. And my dad said some really funny words, which shows you that he had no idea what, what a born-again Christian was. He said, how can you become a born again Christian when you were never even a Christian in the first place? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't know, you know, that's a too theological for me. So I won't go there. But I just said, I don't know, you know what? I'm just, you know, I, I just, I just had this really one of, you know, powerful experience. I'm a Christian and blah, blah, blah. And so then mum gets on the phone and she, she said to me, well, I hope you're not going to go to the Potter's house because I'd basically ragged the Potter's house to them for years. You know, these oh, Potter's no. house people in Spain and blah, blah, blah. And I said to her, um, no, because I hadn't actually got saved in the Potter's house. No, I'm not. But I knew that I was um, because I knew that, uh, you know, that that uh, having just walked into that foyer area there, that I knew that that was where God was supposed to be. So in, in a sense, I was telling the truth, but I wasn't really. Um, I said, no, you know, I'm, I'm not going to the Potter's house, but, but, but I was going to, you know? And so, uh, so yeah, that was kind of the start of my salvation experience. Um, Amazing. <laughs> I don't know what, what, yeah. So I was, I, you know, I honestly, I was, I just had got so radically saved. All I wanted to do was live for God. All I wanted to do was just like witness to everybody that I've, I, could, I ever met. Um, and, and, uh, um, you know, so I fit right in with the church at that stage because at that stage, the Perth church, and the Geraldton Church that I talked about before were both 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 in radical revival. You know, uh, you probably heard Pastor Greg Mitchell talk about it. He was um, a disciple in the church at the time. He 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 says the words. Um, uh, he said this a few times. Uh, you know that because he's experienced revival, he's not satisfied with anything less. Wherever he goes, he wants to see the same kind of you know ex- have the same kind of experience in church as as what was going on when he got saved, which was in the Perth Church at that time. You know. Um, literally, you know, there wouldn't be a week go by that wasn't 20 or 30 people, you know, getting saved. And actually, you know, lot, most of them, or a lot of them at least being added to the congregation. So it was a powerful, you know, really radical time. What an amazing story. What I love about uh, what you've told us is how it, it just shows that when somebody steps into one of our church meetings and is sitting there, it's like we have no idea what is happening inside, you know, their relationship with God, their, you know, where, where they're at spiritually. And all of this is boiling uh, under the surface. And I, I imagine that that uh, Pastor David, that when when you as now as a pastor, 30 years in the making, 
you know, when you're, when you're pulling altar calls, I wonder if you ever have flashbacks of yourself sitting there in that church. Well, when I do uh, an altar call, I, I often mention the fact that, listen, on July the 10th, 1983, I was sitting in a place just like you are. And, I, and, and yes, yes, so I, I, I believe, you know, I, I, and it's like I encourage the people in our church, you know, don't think that just because it's a normal church service, I said that to them just the other day, you know, because obviously we haven't been, because uh, um, COVID has kind of affected the, our church, um, you know, what we can do and what we can't do is we haven't had a revival for quite a while because all the guys in Auckland are locked down and we, we, don't, have, we don't have any any um, international travel at all. So there's not too many guys to call upon. So we haven't had a revival for quite a few months. But I'm, I'm saying to them, you know, does it, you know, you don't just invite people to a revival you because people are outside. They don't know what a revival is, you know. Um, just get them in the presence of God and, and uh, we'll trust that even though it's just me preaching, <laughs> that God can still do something in their lives, you know. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And of course he can, you know, because like as you said, we have no idea what's going on in a person's life. And, and if anybody looked at me, it's like my girlfriend when, when I actually responded and walked down the front, she's like, what the heck? You know, who? Are, what are you doing? You know, she's kind of giving this quizzical look as to why you're going down the front, you know. And uh, she had no idea that I was so at that stage where, as I said, as I look back six months prior to me getting saved, all these incidents, all these different people that I'd meet, different uh, uh, things that had happened in my life, getting me to the stage where I was absolutely ripe for the picking. Uh, although if you'd have asked me, I'd have said, no, I don't believe in God. But, you know, God, God was getting me there. <clears throat> yeah. Well, so... I I, I'm I'm curious. Uh, after also talking with uh, Pastor Paul O'Neill about uh, his experience there, uh, right around the same time when revival was breaking out there in West Australia, and um, I, I'm curious. You said that there was revival happening, and I, I just wonder because um, there's 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 so many people who might be listening to this that haven't been in that experience. Maybe you can describe for us, you know, what was so special about that you know looking back on it maybe um you didn't know how how unique that was at that time but but what made it such a, a powerful time well just thinking from the point of view I, and i know that was happening it was it was a specific period in time when god was moving um in western australia so the jesus people had got movement had gone through um uh the us and so on and a kind of uh, reached Australia, I guess, you know, in the late 70s, uh, early 80s, which is when the, the Potter's House opened up in, in Perth. Um, and uh, they started off with a guy called Ron Burrell, um, uh, who was a guitarist in the Prescott Church, and he he was the one that was sent over here. Pastor Mitchell had been over here and checked out the land and then sent this guy uh, to actually start the church, and I believe that was about 79. I got saved in 83. Um, and uh, right away, they just kind of it was it was it was something that God was doing. But but for me, when I joined the church, I guess it was about maybe two hundred and fifty odd people. Um, I'd say within probably five years, it had grown to about five hundred people. So it was kind of you know just it, what I, all I can say it was it was just happening, um, and everybody felt like they were called. Um, so that, that was the kind of environment that I got saved into because I'm, you know, at, at this point in time, as you're struggling to make disciples and you're trying to convince people, you know, that's a good thing to actually live for God and to, uh, uh, you know, commit yourself and to make some tough decisions that will be. With. So I, I kind of think about it and I think that I had an easy run as far as all that was concerned because 
everybody was 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 into it. You know, um, of course, there are always some people that were, you know, half backslidden and so on. I mean, that's that's in any church. But for the most part, um, you could, you know, you could very easily uh, get involved with, uh, you know, groups of, of young men and young women that we would we would go out on the streets all the time. You know, two o'clock in the morning on a, on a Saturday night after the concert or whatever, we'd go into the um, uh, into the nightclub area of town and just go witnessing until, you know, uh, uh, three or four o'clock and then go home and then get up for church, you know, like a couple of hours later or whatever. Um, uh, everyone was, you know, nobody would go anywhere without uh, taking tracks with them because it was just kind of what you did, you know, you just witnessed to whoever, whoever you talked to. So it was, it was really a, a whole environment. We had bands that were playing all the time um, and going, you know, doing impact teams and, um, uh, you know, concerts all around the city and all, all of these kind of things. So, um and the thing was, is that people were responding. Um, so it wasn't, as I said, it wasn't unusual. You know, we'd have a Saturday night concert and we might be, might be, you know, 20 people would raise their hands. And this was kind of, you know, kind of pretty normal. Like, yeah, well, you know, 20 people gave a rise to the Lord tonight. And, and you know, and, and, and five or 10 of them would come back the next, the very next morning, you know, on, on the Sunday morning. And so, uh, you know, and we were, so there was just an environment. I can't even really, uh, I can't uh, describe it so much as just like um, think about how it was. It, it was it was an atmosphere mm. um, that was that was in the in the place that was that was kind of tangible, you know. Um, and and so you know you didn't have to encourage yourself in the Lord because there was always another you know fifty people around you that were <laughs> that were already you know being encouraged, you know, and being encouraging and so on and so on. It was just like an atmosphere. That didn't mean that there weren't spiritual battles, you know. I went through, you know, times where I felt like I was, you know, half backslidden and so on, you know, um, just just because of just issues in your life and so on and dealing with things as you, you know, as you go on, obviously you have to, God God begins to start dealing with you about certain things. So that, that, that doesn't mean that any of those battles weren't real or that you didn't have to go through them. But um, it does mean that, that uh um, there was there was never like you could say nothing's happening, you know. Uh, whereas probably <laughs> a lot of times now, a whole bunch of people could say, "Well, nothing appears to be happening." And so I don't believe that nothing is happening, even if nothing appears to be happening, because um, I believe God's always at work and He's always doing something. But but if I look back at that time, I'd I'd, I'd have to say I, pres- I I guess that it was a specific season that God was moving in a particular way. Um, and so I pray that God would, uh, you know, give us those seasons all over again, everywhere we go, you know? Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I'm hungry and thirsty to experience something like that once again. Absolutely. I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's so frustrating when you're not in that and I don't like to just make the excuse, oh, well, God's not moving. So therefore that gives me an excuse to, you know, just, um, um, just say, well, it's no point in me doing anything because I, I I do believe God's moving, and I just want God to lead me to individuals like that are in the same place that I was at that particular point in time, you know. So um, I, I believe we'll pray that way that God will lead us to those kind of people, um, and even if we don't see the same kind of results as what was happening there, whether it was that God was raising up a uh, you know a, a candle candle like candlestick church or whatever, I can't you know I can't really say. Um, although that's of, of course what God was doing because we, you know, as a church were, uh, in the, in the Perth church, we're responsible for just sending out, you know, many, 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 many workers into the, into the field. Um, and so, 
um, you know, God was doing what God was doing. And so we were just glad to be part of it, you know, or I certainly was anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you've been very generous with an amazing testimony. And uh, before we run out of time, I, I would really uh, love for you to share your journey in discipleship and how it was you came to decide to become a pastor uh, and not just not just a pastor in your native Australia, but to, to go into another nation. Okay. Um, all right. So <clears throat> what, I, what I would say is that, first of all, it was something that came upon me straight away as soon as I got saved, because at this point, as I hope you've kind of uh, got, and I hope the listeners can, can uh, understand this, I was totally directionless. I had no real specific direction that I wanted to go in life, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew, as I said before, that I had, you know, I had a brain. I had, you know, the ability to actually, you know, do something worthwhile with my life. You know, um, you know, I could have been a doctor or this or that or whatever, and but and yet, but I, I just wanted to just, you know, I don't know. I was, you know, just just wasting my life away. And so when I got saved, the first really revelation that I had was that now I've got direction in my life. And I couldn't say that that was to be a pastor, but but as soon as I got involved with a church in Perth, um, that we're speaking about um, uh, speaking about uh, uh, you know church planting and so on. As soon as like those words came across and it became clear to me that that's what we're involved in as a church, and I knew that that was what God was calling me to do. I knew that that's what I, that that was what that was the direction that God wanted me to go on go in, and so. Uh, um, you know, there, as I said, most of us were kind of at that stage where it was a young church. We're all in our early 20s for the most part. Um, uh, and so we're all kind of of that mindset. But I don't know. I can't speak for anybody else. But for me, I would say that was it. I knew that that's what God wanted me to do. So um, so then it became just a, a, a pursuing of that, you know, um, um, I just got involved. I joined a band at church. I joined the drama team. I just got involved in different ministries and so on and so on. Um, uh, I got married. <laughs> Hallelujah. This this uh, um, uh, other girl, we kind of split up. She married somebody else and whatever. And uh, it was a pretty rocky relationship. And so um, I could go into a whole other story about how, you know, I saw my wife and, you know, it, um, how I got together with her and so on. But, um, you know, she, she's a she, she's a, a real blessing to my ministry and, and has always been, but she had kind of the same heart as me. One thing I would say uh, in that was that, you know, because there was a whole lot of young girls and young guys, it was kind of, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of happening. You know, people were going out with that person and then they'd be going out with this person. And, you know, so they were, that all was happening. But for me, um, once I'd, I'd stopped going out with this girl, I wanted to go out with another, you know, with some other girls. But there was something in me that was saying, "I need to, ha- I need, I want to know, have someone that has the same vision, and is sold out for God." You know, so, so I saw my wife Paula, um, you know, in the congregation. I didn't really have a great deal to do with her, but I, I could just see something in her that, like, she looked like she, you know, just really had the, the, the life of God in her as well. And so I didn't really get to know her that well. But before I asked her out, I uh, went to the girl who had followed her up and I asked her, I said, listen, I'm thinking about inviting this girl out. You know, what do you think about where she's at spiritually and so on and so on? So in other words, if she'd have said to me, oh, you know, she's kind of half backslidden or whatever, or, you know, she's not really full on or whatever, then I would have just forgotten that straight away. So that was, in other words, 
my desire to do something for God um, was was a, a greater desire than just to go out with some chick, you know, and say I'm going out with someone or whatever, you know, and just marry the wrong person or whatever. So I believe that, you know, God, God uh, you know, led me to this girl in particular and uh, um, and that was so. So that was kind of a major decision, obviously in the in the road to becoming a pastor. Absolutely. But as I, yeah. So so as I got involved in all that, and you know, Paula was one hundred percent behind me in everything that we did, and so on. When we got married, and and we you know began to lead a Bible study. Uh, uh, but one thing that was frustrating to me was like in my mind, I was I was full on man, so I was going out soon. You know, I, I wanted to just go out and do something, but, but, um, uh, and so in my mind, looking at the guys that had gone before me and been raised up, you know, they raise up and they become the concert director and then they go out, you know, it takes about three years or so. And so after three years, I was like, I don't think I was even a Bible study leader at the time. And I was really frustrated. I was thinking, man, you know, what's going on here? I'm, I thought I was full on, but why aren't I being raised up and so on and so on. And so, um, uh, it was actually Pastor Mitchell who was pastoring there at the time, and I, I went to him and kind of I, actually no, what had happened? I went on this impact team uh, one time, and I said to uh, and the guy who was pastoring down there when I walked in, he said, "Oh man, here's God's man of faith and power for the hour," and I said, "Well, hardly, you know, I'm not even, you know, doing anything. I'm not even not even a leader or anything, you know." And he said, "Oh, have you talked to Pastor Mitchell about it?" And I said, "Oh no, it never occurred to me because in my mind it was like." this super spiritual kind of thing happened whereby God would just show the pastor, this is the person that needs to be raised up. And, you know, in a church of four or 500 people or whatever, he just like, you know, he would have his handle on everything that was going on and just know that God was calling me. So I wouldn't have to speak to him about it. So when he said, he said, no, no, just go and tell him that you feel called. And so I did. And then, um, you know, the next time the, the uh, Bible study letters and so on were announced, I was, I was one of them, which or, or at least an assistant. Um, so, but it wasn't until six and a half years. So I, I felt called. I knew that I wanted to do something for God. Um, the girl that I married, Paula, was actually from New Zealand. And uh, I went, we, we went, after we got married, we came over here for a little while. And, and I, I really liked the look of the place. And I thought I'd like to go to New Zealand and, and pastor. And so um, uh, when I got back, I think I might have mentioned it to my pastor just just briefly in, 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 in passing. So at that stage, Pastor Mitchell had moved on um, and uh, had gone back to Prescott. But um, uh, again, I, I kind of didn't really, I didn't really, I didn't really have a, a witness from God that now was the time. So I, I kind of noticed some guys going up and really pushing for it. And they'd say, hey, listen, we want to go out, we want to go out, we want to go out. And so they'd send them out. And, uh, um, you know, not necessarily would they make it. And not that I was fearful of that, but I did. Uh, but I, I really wanted to know from God that now was the time. And so um, and so then I, I began to feel that and God began to place certain things in my heart. Um, you know, I'd been to New Zealand. I felt like I wanted to go to the city of Wellington, which is the capital city of New Zealand. Uh, and then I found out that another guy from another church had already been planted there. So I kind of gave that up, which is kind of pretty silly, really, because uh, you know, there's right. a city of about three three hundred thousand people. I think there would have been one or two left over for me. Yeah. But <laughs> there's st still room. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I wasn't thinking like that, you know. Um, and so uh, more and more, God began to lay on my heart this city, Rotorua, which is where my, my wife Paula is from. And uh, um, and I didn't, I hadn't even been thinking about it as a place to go. But God just began to sort of like really 
just really come in it, whenever I'd be praying about it, this would come up all the time. And so, so finally I got to the stage where I felt like I was ready and I went to see my pastor at the time and talked to him about it. And uh, I just said, look, I just want you to know, I, I, I want you to know that I'm willing to do anything that you'd want me to do. And so he's kind of got a bit of a cheeky grin on his face and said, so, uh, we might have a, a position opening up in Port Hedland. Would you want to go there? Now, Port Hedland is one of the places I'd worked in when I was living up north. It's like the it's like the hottest place on earth. You know, it's like Death Valley. Um, you know, 365 days a year. Um, it, it's um, it, it's it was a place where we had a church. In fact, Bruce Callahan pioneered the church. I don't know if you know Bruce, Pastor Bruce Callahan. I I don't know him no. Okay. All right. Well, uh, um, uh, he was uh, evangelizing out of Tucson for quite a number number of years. But anyway, so um, uh, so anyway, when he said that, my heart just dropped, and I looked at Paula, and she was like, "Oh no, you know." And he said, "Ha ha! No, I was only joking, you know." <laughs> Don't toy with me. I wiped my brow, you know, and uh, and then I said, "Well, here's what I really want to do." And, I, and as soon as I mentioned New Zealand. He just got a witness from God, and it was obviously God, you know, and uh, and so uh, it was kind of it was, and he said basically, okay, you know, where would you want to go? And I said, well, listen, I've been praying about Wellington, but I kind of, for some reason, Rotorua is becoming more and more, you know, um, coming to the front in my prayer life, and and so he kind of suggested why he felt Rotorua would be a good place to go because Paula was from there. And, uh, you know, would know some people. And plus it was a, a city that, you know, wasn't you weren't likely to just get lost in and so on. Um, so anyway, he gave these reasons. And so from that point on, he just, oh, I just decided, oh, it must be Rotorua. So I, I, I guessed that that was from God and that, that, that that's where he wanted me to be. And uh, so just before the conference, I went on a, I think it was a seven-day fast or whatever. Uh, something like that. And I was just praying saying, God, you know, if you want to open the door. So we hadn't had any other conversation with my pastor up until that point. And then on the Tuesday night of conference, he came to me and said, you still want to go to New Zealand? And I, and I said, yes. And he said, well, tell me which city you want to go to. And we'll announce it on international night on Thursday night. And so, yeah, so basically I said, well, listen, I felt I felt that it was a word from God that you, when you sort of said that Rotorua would be a good place to go. So I've, that's where I want to go. And uh, yeah, that was, I guess that was uh, 1990. My, my, um, we'd already had a, a young daughter and my son was was just about to be born. So we had to wait for him to be born. And so as soon as he was born and was able to get um, a passport, we, we jumped on the plane and been here ever since pretty much. <laughs> wow. So, okay, let me, let me wrap this uh, as, as close as I can. So you are a, uh, a British family that is relocated to australia yep. and then you decided to leave and go again to new zealand uh, i'm just wondering that there's a there's a lot of uh like like familiarity it seems like you're you're always moving you seem like a uh you're you're, you're in the adventurous uh spirit well, you could say that I was 30 years ago. I don't know if you can still say <laughs> Look, to tell the truth, I've, I've, I've been open to going on. I've never thought that I would be here for the rest of my life, which it kind of appears as how it's going to be now. Um, 
you know, I've always been open. I've been to, you know, every one of my pastors, whoever they've been during the years, and said, listen, I'm open to anything. And at other, at other times I've kind of felt really, well, I'd like to go here and try to do this and, you know, uh, go and do a real missionary endeavour because New Zealand is kind of not really looked well. It's sort of looked upon as a missionary endeavor, but not really. It's you know, it's going overseas, but it's New Zealand and Australia is like Canada or America. You know, it's a kind of it's right. uh, in the US. It's kind of uh, you know, we're pretty similar countries, similar type of people, and so on. Um, uh, so I've kind of always thought, man, it'd be great to because you know, in the early years, I was thinking about going to Papua New Guinea and you know, Thailand and you know, blah blah blah, you know, Asia and so on because uh, it was close to Australia. Uh, but no, we, we we came to New Zealand and I knew that it was God. And and ever since then, I've never had anything saying it's not God, you know. So it's like I, I, um, I, I could have, again, I could have pushed for it um, because there's been times, obviously, when you get frustrated in the ministry, when you're not seeing what you want to see and you want to, you know, maybe the best idea would be to move on. But I've never really had a witness from God like I had the witness from God that this is that, that, that this is me. I want you to I want you to go here. So, uh, so therefore, I've I've stayed, and so in those years, I've seen we've seen, you know, churches come and go, and pastors come and go, and uh, uh, you know, we've seen real good things happening in New Zealand, and then some bad things happen, you know, when when uh, rebellion comes in, and so on and so on. But we've kind of managed to stick our way through the core through it all. So. Okay, so in in thirty years, how 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 have you seen God moved in in those years? I I, I believe that's uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't be there unless unless you believe God is doing good things there. Yeah, absolutely. Look, to tell the truth, as I said before, we're in a rebuilding stage from COVID. We seem to have lost a whole bunch of people. So it's kind of one of those those frustrating times right at this particular point in time. But I'm completely assured that, uh, you know, uh, um, God's got revival for us around the corner. I don't, I don't doubt that. Um, we've managed to, you know, send out a couple of men. Um, one of the couples uh, came back. Uh, uh, but uh, we've got a couple that are pastoring in, a, in another small city uh, uh, in, in New Zealand that we've sent out recently and they're doing fine. And the church is, is, is strong. It's numbers wise. It's not, it's not uh, where, it, where it should be at the moment or where it could be, but we're, we're working on that. So um, uh, having said that, you know, I've had the opportunity to preach in many, many different places. Um, uh, we've, you know, our church has sent, uh, has sent me to, uh, you know, most of the South Pacific Islands, more, many times more than once. I've been to Fiji and Samoa and uh, um, uh, Vanuatu, like more, you know, like five, four or five occasions each or something like that. So, um, you know, which I think is, is uh, you know, I, I've been able to reach our region and uh, do some things there, you know, that, uh, that, uh, that uh, you know, don't cost too much, but are still real missionary kind of uh, endeavors and uh, and so um, yeah look Rotorua is still a city that's right to be uh, right to be taken and uh, we're still out there on the streets and we're, we're you know preaching as much as we can and and uh, um, doing what God's called us to do so I, I don't feel fully satisfied I don't think any pastor ever does um, but at the same time I feel like I'm, I'm still doing what God's called me to do you know amen well I, I would say that you know we in our fellowship, it it's uh, more common for for pastors to move on 
after a few years if they don't like what they're seeing. And, and obviously yeah. God moves in many different ways. But uh, to, to see somebody who's faithful to to a church like that for over the long term, that, I think that's a very precious thing. And so I, I, I think, uh, you know, as long as you're you're obedient to the Lord, then that that's a wonderful thing to be proud of. Yeah. And I kind of feel that way as well, because in my mind, you know, it's like, well, I should have, you know, and I kind of even thought, you know, because I thought that God, maybe God was calling me to Israel because I'm Jewish. And so I went to Israel one time and sort of spied out the land, Paul and I, like we actually kind of backpacked around. We, we were going to go on the uh, Pastor Mitchell tour of, of, of uh, Israel, but um, we realized we didn't have enough money. So we ended up just kind of backpacking around and going to the major cities for three or four days each and, you know, just kind of checking out the land. But again, um, just didn't really feel any kind of witness that this is where God wanted me to be. And maybe some people say, well, listen, maybe you just have to just uh, uh, step out in faith and so on. But I feel that, um, as I said, I feel that I've done what God has called me to do and he's not called me to do anything else, you know. So it's like, what do, what do you do? I'm, I, I, I um, uh, you know, 31 years is a very, very long time to be in one particular place. Uh and so, I, as I said, I'd be more than happy to move if God calls me to do, even now I'm, I'm 60 years of age, but um, just turned 60 last month. Um, but I'm still, I'd still be open, you know, to doing something, but it's, it's got to be God. You know, I don't want it just to be a whim or, or, you know, something that I feel like, oh, well, I'm fed up with this. I want to try that, you know. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I really appreciate your uh, your openness and especially the incredible testimony that you have of uh, God drawing you to salvation. It's It's got to be a wonderful source of encouragement to you to, to think about those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so look, whenever, yeah, and I, I, I suggest every Christian do this, you know, whenever you're going through a hard time um, or not seeing what God wants, what you feel that you want to see, um, that I, I always, I'm constantly referring back to that day, July the 10th, 1983, God radically changed my life. He, he gave me a totally different direction in life. He gave me, you know, like a, I'm on my way to heaven because of that. And so whatever happens in this life is, is, uh, is not really, you know, even this morning I was reading uh, in, the, in the Bible, it's just in my uh, daily reading, uh, uh, the uh, passage in Luke, where, where Jesus said, you know, to the thief on the cross, this day you shall be with me in paradise. And I was reminded once again, praise God. That's what, you know, that's what, what it's all about. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to. And, and while I'm doing that, while I'm on my way there, I'd like to, you know, bring as many people along with me as possible, you know. Amen. Well, uh, I wonder if you would, before we close, just share maybe a couple of uh, bullet points that we can be praying for. Our audience wants to, to uh, be a blessing to you. Well, look, I'd really appreciate, uh, like, as I said, we haven't really been, uh, uh, had any kind of revivals for a few months. Um, uh, we've been kind of hampered in what we've been trying to do because every time we try to do something, it turns out that lockdown won't allow us to do that. We're not in full lockdown at the moment here in Rotorua. Auckland are pretty much, the, the churches there are pretty much closed down. So we can have services, but we can't kind of really do, you know, outreach like we'd like to, but you know, I, just last week I preached at a funeral, and uh, prior to actually preaching, the the funeral was on a a, a marae, which is a the, the Maori um, uh, meeting place, and so it's kind of almost like an you know you might liken it to an Indian reservation type of thing, um, and I was preaching there, and and as I was preaching, I just felt the spirit of God, you know, just really get a hold of me as I was 
as I started getting into my message, I just felt God really take over. But I was praying before them and just saying, God, you know, I know that not everybody's going to listen to this and they just want to see their dead relative, you know, um, buried and said farewell to and so on. But I'm going to preach the gospel. And I want to believe you to touch individual hearts. So if you could just, you know, if you could, uh, uh, if those that are listening, if you could pray for the city of Rotorua, that God would, would lead us to people that have uh, open hearts because, because, um, you know, it had been wonderful to see, you know, 50 people get saved at one time, but we all kind of know that it, it's very, very rare when those kind of things happen. What's far more, more um, uh, what happens far more often is that God saves the ones and the twos. And I'm happy to see the ones and the twos saved, but I really want to see people get radically saved as in like have the same experience that I had, um, not just kind of, you know, wander into church and then hear a message and, you know, um, just oh yeah, I think I'll pray, and then you never ever see him again, which is kind of what happens. So, I, I, and I'm sure I'm the same as every single pastor in the fellowship in saying that, that that you know, if if we could pray for anything, just that people would get really touched by the Spirit of God when we talk to them, or, or that when they come to church, that they would be touched, uh, you know, by something that's said and respond and respond with all of their hearts, because as a result of the. Uh, uh, funeral that I preached the other day. The other day, I had a guy come up to me afterwards, and he told me he was backslidden and he wants to come back to church. And uh, and then a, a lady showed up on Sunday morning, and and uh, she'd also been at the funeral, and she decided that she was going to go to church at that time. She'd been um, saved in 1988 and hasn't been really following God since then. So she's in her 60s, but she's uh, you know she 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 wants to recommit her life to God and so on. So just people that are that are open, you know. And, and young people, if you could pray that God would give us some young people, uh, that would be a real blessing. Amen. Amen. Well, you have to greet uh, Richard and Becky Salanoa for us the next time you see them. They're, they're oh, absolutely. Uh, close to our hearts. Uh, have you guys been able to uh, help each other? Oh, for sure. Yeah, he's preached for me. I've preached for him. Uh, uh, did, you know, they're, they're unfortunately there in, 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 in Auckland where it's, it's fully locked down. Uh, in fact, what they have is level four, which is basically nobody goes anywhere or does anything. They've come out of level four. They're on level three now, which is basically, um, you know, it's been basically dubbed level four with, 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 uh, with um, you know, with McDonald's or level four with KFC. Oh. Because because basically the only difference between level four and level three is, is that you can go out and get takeaways now. <laughs> so so um, uh, so they're kind of fully locked down at the moment. Um, and uh, and so they need to kind of get out of that as soon as possible. It's been kind of frustrating for those guys there. Um, uh, but yeah, but uh, uh, Richard and Becky and, and Paula and I are, are great friends and um, we've we've had a lot to do with one another and seeing what God's doing in each other's churches. So, you know, we're. We've uh, we've formed a good relationship with him. Well, that's wonderful. It wasn't that long ago that he was in our church preaching revival uh, just oh. a few years back. So, right? uh, well, it's been a, it's been just a joy to hear your testimony, Pastor David, and to get to know you a little bit. And uh, um, I appreciate you taking the time to to join us for this episode. Uh, it's been my pleasure, Pastor Adam. I really do appreciate what you're doing. Um, it's a great ministry. I remember, you know, I came across your um, uh, podcast probably about a year ago and listened to a few messages, but it's kind of seems to have grown exponentially since then. You know, you've got everything, something on every single night that seems. And so uh, you, you must be working really hard. And it's, it's obviously uh, um, uh, bearing some fruit, you know, people are, um, are, are listening to it and, and uh, getting, you know, getting encouraged by the messages. So, so good on you for doing that. 
Well, I, I can't take too much credit. Uh, I have uh, Dave, who's doing a lot of the work behind the scenes. And also our most popular episodes are the Testimony Tuesdays, which we uh, we put all the attention on our guests. And so it's because of people like you willing to come on and, and share their story that uh, that we uh, are able to get these messages out. And so um, to close out this episode, I just want to encourage our listeners, uh, since this is conference week here in Chandler, Arizona, um, I just uh, we initiated all of the transfers uh, regarding all of the money that this podcast has raised up. And I'm very happy to report that we're we're going to be putting in about $200. And that is only what we've raised up in uh, approximately three months since we started taking subscriptions. So um, yeah, it's very, very encouraging. Everything that we're going to do, we're going to put in toward uh, world evangelism. And uh, the other big announcement I wanted to share with everybody before we close is that we are, our, our church in Virginia Beach was inspired by all of you. And so we're going to actually match dollar for dollar uh, everything that was raised by the podcast uh, for world oh, evangelism. So well, you, you, you might not be able to do that soon because I, I you know, I'm encouraging people to, um, you know, to do the subscription because not because of the fact that you get to listen to a little bit more of the preaching and so on, but uh, uh, more because of it's such a little amount. And if the more people that get involved, you know, $3 a month is nothing really, isn't it? And, uh, and so, but it can make a great deal of difference when everybody um, partners together and does that and uh and you know the fact that your guys you guys are doing it giving it all to world evangelism uh speaks you know very well of you and i believe you're going to be you know your church is going to be blessed as a result and particularly if they're um if they're uh, um, matching that praise god yeah yeah we're excited about it man so um yeah we, we figured you know if uh back in the day when uh, when i wanted to take a sermon home, I would have to go back to the, you know, to the sound booth and pay $1 for a tape cassette, you know? (laughs) And so I figured for three bucks a month to get at least, you know, 30 sermons, uh, that's a pretty good deal. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm a fully subscribed member. So, uh, and I'll remain, uh, remain so. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for all of your time, Pastor David, and, and your support, your great testimony. Give God praise for all that he's done in your life and in your church there. And uh, uh, hopefully one day I'll get to meet you in person would be a, a great opportunity for me. Yeah. Look forward to it. Uh, um, and uh, um, I, I appreciate very much you asking me. I know it's just a random name on a uh, out, of a, out of a list, but um, I'm glad that you chose me and I had the opportunity to just, uh, you know, share with a, perhaps a wider audience just uh, the fact that God is so good. Amen. Well, we appreciate your time and uh, thank you so much. Thank you to all of you listeners and uh, we'll see you on the next Testimony Tuesday. Amen. God bless you.